0: Uh, Last week, we started this series talking about how for so many of us, we're kind of bent and geared toward finding our value in things outside of ourselves. Ultimately, even find our value in things that don't necessarily even matter. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, the performance trap and how it's so easy for us to think that performing well will give me value in my life. And at some point, I can perform enough to be accepted, and we saw that that's not the truth. Actually, the truth is because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you can live a place from acceptance and perform differently, not living a life where you're trying to perform for acceptance because you'll never measure up even to your own standards. And this this question of value is so important because when I assign your value or you assign value to your life or, or whoever is the judge of why someone is valuable, then that also makes them the judge, the authority on why you are no longer valuable. And some of us, we've honestly, a lot of us have been in relationship situations, whether it's a romantic relationship, a school relationship, an employee, employer, whatever it might be, where people value you based on their values. And when you don't measure up to what they value, you're no longer valuable to them. And we believe that everybody is valuable, and not because I said it or because you would say that, but because God said it. And God didn't just say it, he showed it. And the question we looked to answer last week was, where does someone's value come from? Where does your value come from? And we saw that from the beginning of time, from creation itself, God has chosen humanity to be above and different than all other things that are created. You and I, we are different than trees or animals or footballs, or anything else you want to put in there. We are different, and we are unique. And the, the way we are different and unique is that we have God's image on us. We saw from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says that God created us in his image. And he created male and female in his image. And we are valuable. Every single person is valuable, not because of what you do, but because of who you resemble, Because God has chosen to put his mark, his image himself on you. And that's why we should stand up and proclaim that every life from the womb to the tomb is valuable and special and worth saving. And last week, as I said, we looked at how when we fall into this performance trap, it's not fulfilling. And it's honestly, it's draining and it leads to a really bad place for a lot of us. Today, we're going to talk about uh, not so much of the things that we do, but the things that we have, how so many of we put our value in what we have. To put it simply, we have a possession obsession where we are focused on if I just have the right things or more things or bigger things or smaller things, whatever the things are, if I just have those, then I will be more valuable. And you see this all over the place, right? You see if you're in middle school or high school or you've been through middle school or high school, you know you gotta dress with the right clothes, the right logos, the right trademarks, whatever. You gotta show up with the right stuff on because people will value or devalue you based on what you're wearing. But it doesn't stop in middle school or high school because when you graduate, it depends on what college you go to, then what car you drive, then what house you have, what neighborhood you're in, what school your kids are in. And we focus so much on the stuff that we have to Determine our value, even if you're part of the minimalist movement where you're saying, I I, I don't don't worry about that, like, I just try to get rid of stuff. I'm really only have like two things that I wear, and I'm you know, everything's the same. Great for you, you're still focused on your stuff, even though there's less of it. And the church has got this so backwards and upside down because for so many churches, uh, we've taken and we've said, Okay, if you have a lot of stuff, either God loves you or you're evil, which makes no sense. God loves you if you have a bunch of stuff and that shows that God loves you or you're evil because you have so much stuff and you're not loving God. Or we flip on the other side and say, if you don't have stuff, either God obviously doesn't love you or God loves you more because you don't have stuff. And we've gotten so twisted and we assign value so much to people based on the things that they have. And you see this from a young age. When I was in middle school, um, shoes that were really popular uh, where I was at in that age were like the Adidas classic, Adidas, like the white shoes. If you're with me, shake your head yes. You had like those three stripes. You can still get them today. I almost got a pair to wear as like an illustration, like, yeah, babe, I need a new pair of shoes just because it's an illustration. But they're like $90. And I was like, not today, Jesus. Uh, so, <laughs> but, so the shoes, right? And then there was a, a clever store, or a few probably, that made the knockoffs where they have four stripes. You've seen these, you've probably had some. So my family, my parents loved us incredibly and they said, we will provide for you. You will never have lack of shelter or clothing or food or anything like that, but we are not gonna go to crazy lengths to spend all sorts of money on stuff that's not gonna last. So like shoes, we're not spending $80 on shoes, which is a bummer. If you're an adult, you're like, yes, that makes sense. Especially if you're a parent. If you're a student, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Everybody else spends $80 on shoes. So middle school age Justin sees these knockoff shoes at Walmart, and I'm inspecting them, and it comes to my awareness that I could probably cut off one of the stripes (laughs) on the shoe and make my own Adidas. So I told my mom, these are the ones I want, and proceeded to go home, and got the utility knife out, and cut with precision, like a surgeon, this stripe off, pulled it off, and go, I have my own Adidas now. And they were like, six bucks. Six bucks. And then I wore them, and it was great. It was awesome. I was wearing them all around, thought I was super cool, until I was with my friends for the first time. And someone was like, dude, how come your Adidas don't have Adidas anywhere on them? And it didn't occur to me, like, they don't just have the three stripes. They actually have their name on the tongue, and on the heel, and underneath the shoe, and all over the place. And then I had to run away to witness protection with the FBI because I was so embarrassed because, man, your life is over because your stuff isn't the right stuff. And maybe you've been in a place too where you've had an embarrassing story like that or or you felt the pressure that I just don't measure up because I don't have the right stuff. Maybe you're a student and you feel that very real reality of like, I show up to school and I'm not wearing the the cool stuff and the cool people don't like me and they look down at me. Or maybe you're the parent of that student feeling like if I could just make enough money, I could provide the right things for my family, Never mind that the right thing for your family is you. And we focus so much on getting the right stuff, but what if we focus more on being the right people? And this is where we need to look at taking the possession obsession. All of us have a degree that we hold on to this, no matter how much stuff you have. Taking that and loosening the grips of that and saying, okay, how do we work with this? Because this is something we got to figure out. As you look through the scriptures, uh, it's actually a lot of scripture talks about money. Jesus actually talks a lot about money. It's interesting though, he it doesn't talk about money telling you to give him your money. Generally, it's how you handle your money. He's not just telling people, come and give me your money. If you are hearing from a Jesus who's always using the speaker just to bring in money and bring in money, like I'd be kind of leery of that. But Jesus talked about money so much because he knew money is important, And money can have such a hold on our lives. And money, even in our culture, especially in our culture, you need money for everything, right? But money can't be your everything. So we're going to look at two stories, actually kind of compare the two, and see how Jesus interacts with two guys who are both wealthy and talks about their stuff and how they actually have completely different reactions to what Jesus is trying to tell them. One is sad, one is happy. But before we get into that, I just wanna be really clear, because again, we get this so twisted, especially sometimes in the church, that wealth is not the problem. And being wealthy is not a bad thing, For some of us, God has entrusted more to us because we've shown that we are trustworthy and we handle it the way he would have us to handle it. So before we get into the story and some of us might be inclined to like think about those bad rich people and you're going to point your finger to somebody else, just know someone else is probably pointing their finger at you thinking you're one of those rich people. Because comparatively speaking, almost everyone in here, we are rich compared to the rest of the world. Even if you don't feel like it, and I know in your context, you might not be one of the wealthy people in our county, country, city. You think about everything that we have is for Jesus, and we can use it to honor him. So let's jump into this story here. The first one is about a guy, honestly, all of us would really love and want to connect with he you open up to Luke 18, you can go to the message notes on the app and follow along that way. Uh, this guy, his life is a total success. He has everything together. Uh, Luke says that he is a rich ruler. Mark calls him a rich young ruler. So he's a young guy with incredible wealth, incredible authority. He's probably good looking because that just probably is the whole package filled out for him, right? So he comes up to Jesus asking Jesus a really important question. Let's look what it is in Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 18, it says a certain ruler asked him, talking about Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, the guy's asking, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? Which is the age-old question. Everybody's asking some spiritual authority, how do I get to heaven? So he asks you, how do I do this? Jesus responds with saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I think even at this point, Jesus is kind of showing him, you're calling me a good teacher, And you're kind of having the the earthly standard of good. I'm going to raise the bar and say that only God is good. Basically asking him, are you calling me God? Because only God has the authority to tell you if you are okay to go to heaven. So then he goes on to giving him kind of the laundry list. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The guy's response is, all these I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Now, again, this is the guy, like if you could pick someone for your daughter to marry or date, you'd be like, dude, you got a good one. If you call your daughter dude, don't call your daughter dude. It's probably not a good thing. You'd be like, honey, he's awesome. He's so good. This is the guy you'd want to hire, right? This is the guy, if you're a, a single, not a young single, you're a little bit more seasoned single, you got some experience, you're like, man, where are all these guys at? This is the person you want to move in next to you. This is the person, like, if I could have one friend, it would be the guy who got it all together. Who He's not going to kill anybody. He's not going to steal anything. He's got money. He's got influence. Like, he is buttoned up. Like, we would look at him and be like, that guy. If anyone is close to Jesus, that guy would be close to Jesus. He has his life completely together. But Jesus tells him he lacks one thing. And it's just this little tiny thing in his life he probably is thinking, even as he inter- interacts with Jesus, like, it's probably something small. Like, I didn't do the big things. I didn't kill anybody. I got money, so I can have someone else do that, right? No, he didn't do that. He said, he's, he's saying, like, okay, what's the small little thing? This is the small little thing that Jesus tells him he has to do. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure heaven. Then come and follow me. Just a small little thing. Something insignificant in his life. Just sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Notice it doesn't come back to Jesus. Go meet other people's needs. And then you can come follow me. Now, let's be honest. If Jesus told any of us in this room that, we'd have a really hard time with it. We'd say, Jesus, I don't don't know about that. And the one thing that Jesus is pointing to that he lacks, the one thing that Jesus is pointing to that he lacks is faith in the right thing. And this is what happened. It's even it shows up. Because when he says, come and follow me, then you go to verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The reality is, is Jesus looks at this guy and says, yeah, you got all this stuff. You performed really good. You have all this wealth. Like You've done a phenomenal job. Everyone in your life is probably patting you on the back and smiling and saying, we knew you when you were nothing. Now look how good you are. But the one thing that you lack is the one thing that matters the most. The one thing that you lack is you're having faith in the wrong thing. You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your possessions. Last week with the performance trap, we saw that when you trust in yourself and your possessions, it's it's worthless and it's exhausting. The same way, this week with the possession obsession, when you have faith in yourself, it's not your performance but in your stuff, that your stuff will make you good, it's never satisfying. Jesus saw straight into this guy's heart and saw the one thing he was trying to protect, hoping it would protect him in life and said, "That's the thing that has to go." Not because Jesus is mean, where Jesus doesn't like stuff, where Jesus thinks wealthy people are bad, because Jesus knows what's best for this guy. And he looks at this guy's life and he says, there's not enough room in your heart for money and me. So you need to choose. Some of us have been in relationships, whether it's work or romantic relationships or friends where you go, okay, like there's not enough room for soccer and me in this relationship. So you choose soccer and I'm gonna go find a new friend. There's not enough room for work and your family in this relationship. So you go do your work thing. We're going to go. I'm going to protect the kids from you because you're always gone. You're never here. We're going to go. You choose that. We'll be here. I would love to follow this relationship with you and fall in love with you and marry you, but you just can't get over your ex. There's not enough room and it hurts you. It breaks your heart when you look at someone you care about and go, there's not enough room in your heart for what I know is what you need. You need to get that out of your heart. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling this guy. He's saying, you have an idol in your life. Now, idol, we don't use that terminology very much outside of like American idol, right? But what an idol is, is it's anything that you would take and some cultures actually still where they really create and they make little figurines that they would go and worship, they'd go give offerings to, they'd spend all their time focused on that thing. Like that is the, the chief thing in their life. And all of us, To some degree, we're going to have idols in our lives, things that we put in our hearts that we're focused on. And I don't know what yours is, but you know what yours is, and you're probably thinking about it right now. And what Jesus is telling this guy is that you need to turn from the idol, from the thing that's in your heart that will not satisfy you, and you need to turn to Jesus and walk towards Jesus. It's not enough to simply kind of move around things and move around the space in your heart. You need to completely remove it. And that's what we have to do with our idols. We have to remove them from our hearts, not simply relocate them in our lives. So again, so, so what's your thing? And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't believe in scriptures. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm just like here because they brought me or because I, I'm curious about this whole church thing. I've heard about what's happened. I just want to come explore it. Like, it doesn't mean that you don't have one. For some of you, like it's video games. It's your own entertainment. Some of you, it's food. And not even, like, it's easy, again, like, like wealthy people, it's easy to point out, they, they have more, so it's bad. Like, food is a thing, too. Even if you don't eat a lot of food, food can still be your idol. You can still be so focused on what you're consuming with your body that it is the center of your life, and nothing else matters in comparison to that. And Jesus says something that's really hard to this guy. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, literally a camel, big animal, a needle, tiny little hole. It's easier for that to happen than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom, which is a really hard thing. I'm thinking if I was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his close friends right there, as I'm watching this unfold and kind of watching it go, I'm sitting there going, Jesus. No, 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 I'm saying your name, not like in a bad way, like I'm just calling you to Jesus. Jesus, I have a question, Jesus. Jesus, like how come you turned him away? Like, he could have helped us so much. He had money, he had influence, he had power. Like, we could kick out Judas, I don't care about him. Like, we could, Peter too, kick them both out. Get two for one, get him in here. Could he be one of the close guys? And we can, we can really leverage his influence to prolong this mission thing, this movement we're happening. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm not gonna have people come in to leverage their idols for me. I want them to walk away from them because they're never gonna satisfy And all of us know this, don't we? We all know that that things will not satisfy us. You've probably heard the John Rockefeller quote, who at one time was the wealthiest man in the world. He was America's first billionaire. You've probably heard the quote where someone came up and asked him, John, how much money is enough? And his response was, just a little bit more. Where in your life do you have that mentality of just a little bit more? Just a a little bit nicer school for my kid. Just a little bit more house. Like our house and like we're living this right now. We have, you know, two kids, one on the way in a small little apartment. We need a bigger space. And like just a little bit bigger house, that would make things so much better. But you with houses the size of the people with homes the size of the house we dream of getting would say bigger houses isn't going to solve your problem. And you're looking at another house saying just a little bit more. Just a little bit bigger of a pool just a little bit nicer of a car, just a little, bit, a little bit more notoriety at work, just a little bit more. If I could have just a little bit more, think about technology even. Where's your phone from five years ago? The phone you stood out line and waited two days to get, That you're like, man, this is gonna change my life. It's so good. I can take pictures on it. Like, yeah, we're gonna get this phone, connect to the internet. Man, you couldn't give a dog the first iPhone now. It wouldn't even want it. But this is the reality. For some of us, we're so wrapped up like we have to have the newest, the latest and greatest and we want just a little bit more and a little bit more can give you comfort but it can't give you satisfaction. And that's why Jesus is looking at this guy and he's loving him and he's telling him something that's hard for him to handle because it's the truth. And if you're coming here or you're, you're in, in, interacting with Jesus and for some reason it seems like Jesus is always your biggest fan and Jesus is always excited and Jesus is always giving you positive things, that's not the real Jesus. Jesus says hard things because hard things are the truth sometimes. And all of us need the truth. Even if you disagree with faith, even if you disagree with Christianity, if I knew something would make you better, you would probably want me to tell you even if it was a hard thing to tell you. And that's where Jesus is at with this guy. So the disciples are standing there baffled, and they say, okay, Jesus. The people stand around and say, Jesus, in verse 26, then who can be saved? Like this guy is like the poster child of a person that has a relationship with God. He has money. God's obviously blessing him because he has money. He's keeping the law, so God obviously loves me. Who then can be saved? Like if he can't get in, We're all out because no one else measures up to his standard. He's awesome. And Jesus simply says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What's impossible with you and me is possible with God. The change that we need in our lives, it's impossible for us to do it on our own but it is possible for God. And this is, this is the reality too. It's not just the wealthy people. It's not just hard for wealthy people to come to God. It's hard for everybody to come to God. And what's impossible with all of us to do things, God will make things possible. God will come and he actually came as the man Jesus lived a perfect life, the one that was impossible for us to live. He made it possible by living the perfect life. He died in our place. Something that, honestly, it's possible for us to die and take our own punishment, but it requires an eternity of punishment. But he took it, he died in our place, and he rose again three days later, providing an impossible way and making it possible for us to be reconnected with God. What is impossible for us to do is possible through Jesus. And when you look at your stuff... It's not going to meet your needs long term, and Jesus knew that. And Jesus looks at this guy through all his stuff and sees him, and says, "I want you, not your stuff." Yeah, it's really hard, and yeah, you're sad. I'm sad for you because you're turning away, you're walking away from the Author of Life to things that are not going to satisfy. And I think if 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 Jesus is standing there, his heart's broken. See, you're this close. And Jesus isn't ushering out some new law that we all have to sell everything we have to follow him. It was for this guy, Jesus knew your stuff was where you got your security, where you had your value, but it also the stuff wasn't the issue. Like with so many things in scripture, in our lives, it's never the problem, it's our hearts. And in this in particular, this situation, wealth was not the problems, it's our hearts were the problem. For all of us, the way we view things, wealth and money are inanimate objects, means they have no moral compass, they have no right or wrong, they have no soul. Just like the chair you're sitting on is not good or bad, it's just a chair. The same thing for money. Money cannot be good or bad, it's how we use it that makes it good or bad. So if we view money in a bad sense, then our hearts are the bad thing, not the money. So this is the sad story that's difficult for us to swallow because honestly, for a lot of us, we go, man, like, if Jesus asked me to do that, that'd be really hard. I don't know if I could do that. And we feel for this guy, and it's heavy, but there's hope. Let's look at the second story. If you flip over in your Bible, you can look at Luke chapter 19, which is a little bit further down, so that Jesus, as he's going around, uh, he's doing his thing, traveling from city to city, teaching, healing, doing all kinds of things. And he goes to a city of Jericho, and this is what happens. It says in verse 1, as he entered Jericho, was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, if you've been around church, you've heard about Zacchaeus. You've probably sang a song in kids' ministry at some point about Zacchaeus. I tell you, in his day, people were not singing songs about him, at least not in church and not the kind of song you could sing in church. People did not like him. You go on to read why. It says, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. See, as Jesus is traveling around, a lot of people want to see him. Zacchaeus wants to see him. But Zacchaeus, I think, honestly, it kind of feels like, I don't think Jesus really wants to see me because nobody wants to see me. He's a tax collector. And in that context, what would happen is you have the Jewish people, who Zacchaeus was probably a Jew, the Jewish people that Rome came in and was oppressing the Jewish people, and then they'd find people to collect taxes on their behalf. So Zacchaeus, uh, whether he volunteered or not, uh, he began to be a tax collector. And what would happen, what the custom was is if the government required, let's say, 5%, if you got 8%, you could keep the 3% to yourself. So it was like you were encouraged to extort, to cheat, to lie. And in some instances, actually, the government would would sell the office of tax collector to the highest bidder because it was a very wealthy and lucrative opportunity for you to get in to do that. They even, at times, would torture people to get taxes out of them. So Zacchaeus is a bad dude. He has baggage. He has social problems with people. And I even think it says he ran ahead and he climbed to the tree. I think he also had money. And if he's a short dude, if I was him and I was short, I'd have bodyguards, right? So chances are, this is just my own thought, okay, it's not in Scripture. My own thought is he probably had bodyguards that he could have had them like clear out of way so he could go see the front of the line. But again, he thought, I don't know if Jesus wants to see me, so I'm going to run down and climb up the tree because I'm really unsure. Is this Jesus guy going to like me or is he going to hate me like everybody else? Then Jesus gets to that spot. In verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Can you imagine the shock Zacchaeus faced when Jesus, he's looking down at the tree, checking things out, and Jesus comes by and points up and says, hey, Come down here, I gotta go to your house right now. Not just you know my name, which would be a shock. You wanna stay at my house. You wanna associate yourself with me. One of the lowly people, even though I'm wealthy, socially people don't want anything to do with me and you want something to do with me. You know who I am and you still call me to come to you and invite you into my house. If you look at verse seven, honestly, I think if, we're, if we are truthful with ourselves, that's where we find ourselves. We're not Zacchaeus in the story, and we're definitely not Jesus in that story. We're probably the people in verse 9 that says, they all began to mutter that he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. We're the people who see someone who hurt us, and then now, for whatever reason, we believe that we are the judge to whether they should receive mercy and grace from God. And we say things and we talk about things like, well, I don't, I mean, they're, I don't know why they're going to church. They, don't, they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't do that. People can hurt you in incredible ways. And I'm sorry for the hurt, but you are not the judge. I am not the judge. Because Jesus has said that because we have God's image on us, everyone is welcome at his table. So as a side note, don't hinder people from coming to Jesus. And also, on the flip side, don't let people's opinion of you hinder you from coming to Jesus. Come in. You are welcome to our gathering. We are a busted and broken people seeking Jesus together. So come on. You're welcome here. Everybody and anybody, we're not going to mutter about you coming in because we realize how bad we are as well and how good Jesus is. So Zacchaeus gets to his house. He's hanging out with Jesus. And then he stands up and he says to Jesus, look, Lord here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times the amount. I love how he kind of puts that in there with Jesus. Like, Jesus, like, if I cheated anybody, I'll pay him back. Like, dude, you definitely cheated people. It's like your whole MO. Like, yes, you were cheating people. Then he said, this is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, which is the sweetest thing that Zacchaeus has heard his entire life. Jesus tells him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We see here from Zacchaeus' life, because he was with Jesus, he had a total change of his heart, total change of his priorities. Where the first guy was using his stuff to insulate himself from Jesus and other people, trying to show that he's okay. Zacchaeus is with Jesus and he just goes, man. Like this stuff that I have doesn't matter. The thing I used to want, the thing I used to live for doesn't even matter. We have no account that Jesus told him to sell his stuff, that, to give things to the poor, to reconcile relationships. It doesn't say Jesus told him to do those things. It says he willingly did this. His life completely changed. He had an altar of value in himself and in the things he valued. And this is where, for all of us, we have to remember, it's not about the money. It's about the heart. For some of us, we want to have the actions that Zacchaeus had in giving things away, but we don't have the heart that he had in not valuing them. And if your heart is not in the right place, it doesn't matter what you do with your hands. You can give things, all sorts of things away, but if you don't love people, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, honestly, it's pointless. So for, for us, we're here, we look at the stories and we go, okay, so both of them are wealthy. Again, wealth is not bad. Wealth is not the problem. One of them, the first guy, came to Jesus thinking that he had his life together and wanted a thumbs up from Jesus, didn't get that, walked away sad because his stuff had such a hold on his life. It's not simply that he had stuff, his stuff had him. The second guy comes to Jesus, seeks him out, is wealthy, probably feels intimidated by Jesus, probably feels like, man, I've ruined my reputation, I've done so many bad things willingly releases his hold on his stuff and finds life. And this is the reality, that Jesus is in the business of finding people and giving them life. That was his whole mission here. If you want to put it in like a mission statement kind of idea, verse 10. This is what Jesus' point for coming was to seek and to save the lost. To bring people who are far from God into a close relationship with God. To bring people into his very family. And the reality was that Zacchaeus' confidence changed because his relationship with God changed. He understood that it is not about his stuff. A friend of mine said this to me this week as we were talking about this message. I was like, man, that's so good. I'm going to put it in there. So this is an original thing, but it's really good. You can go, mm, okay? said, your value is not found in what you possess, but in who possesses you. Mmm, thank you. (laughs) And this is so good where you can really hold on to it. Your value is not about the things that you're trying to get and gather and try to give to people. Okay, I'm going to try to handle everything and make sure I have enough and you have enough and they have enough. It's not found in what you have. It's found in the relationship you have with your creator, with God. And for some of us, that's why we struggle with our value. Because we're at the point where we're saying, like, I don't have that relationship with God. I don't believe in God. people talk about God, I want to believe in God, I think, but I'm not sure. I'm just kind of lost in this fog. I don't know. You are so welcome here. Please keep coming back. We'd love to talk with you about this. We'd love to interact with you about it. We'd love to help you have a relationship with Jesus that's built on your faith in him and have a confidence in that. Because just like both of these men, Jesus wants you, not your stuff. Jesus is not here to use you to build his kingdom. He's here to invite you into his family, into his kingdom and say, come on, come with me, be part of this movement, but it's not about you doing stuff for me. It's not about you having enough stuff for me. It's about you living with me in communion, in a relationship. And when we have that relationship with Jesus, everything else changes. The things that we used to value, the things that we used to try to use to build up our reputation, suddenly they lose their value. And in a practical way, the the antidote for the possession obsession, how to fix this in your life after Jesus is coming and change your heart, the way to fix this is simple. It's just generosity. You just give. And if you are not a Jesus follower, you get a whole pass on this, whole, this next part here, okay? So don't even worry about it. I'm not even talking about you. Don't feel pressure to give or anything. But if you're a Jesus follower, I believe scripture is very clear. If you're a Jesus follower, you do a priority and percentage giving. You give first out of an act of faith, not a tag on to your weekly budget. That means when you look at your month, and I hope you look at your month, it's a wise thing to plan out where your money's gonna go instead of trying to figure out where it all went. You look at your budget, giving's at the top, not at the bottom. And you say, we're gonna give first, and I will sacrificially give. I would rather give to what God's calling me to give to you than go out to lunch with my friends. I'd rather give to do this than do that thing over there. And guess what? God's gonna meet all your needs. You're not gonna have a lack For some of us, you're at this place where you're so worried and and you just need to give. You just need to go first and say, okay, it's a faith thing. It's not a money thing. You say, I will give first. And and this is the truth too. Honestly, to a degree, I don't care where you give. Especially if you're not a Jesus follower. If you're not a Jesus follower, don't hear me say you got to give to our church or our church. If you're not a Jesus follower, give somewhere else. I don't care where you give. If you're a Jesus follower, you value the thing that God values. You should give to what God values. God wants to use his church as the hope of the world to reach the world for him. So the church should be part of your giving. But also, you need to give to homelessness. You need to give to widows and orphans. You need to give all kinds of things. My wife and I give to things, not because we feel guilty about it, because we believe the work that those organizations are doing are valuable. And the people that those organizations are reaching are as valuable as my kids. So why wouldn't I help them? We give first. If you're not a Jewish follower, again, I would tell you, hey, give anywhere. You find some nonprofit, you find whatever, I don't care, honestly, again, I don't care what you give, but give to something because it will change how you handle your finances. It will change how you feel about yourself when you realize you were not given everything you have to consume it for yourself, but you were given everything you have to make a difference in the people around you. And we can only do that when we change our view of how we'll have enough. Because honestly, so many of us, we look at having enough and we say, that's the benchmark for giving. When I have enough, then I'll give. And we view it as a money thing. And giving is not a money thing. It's a faith thing. And we give now. Even when we go, I don't know if I have enough, we still give. Because we believe it's better to give than to receive. G.K. Chesterton said it this way, that there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Probably most of the people in this room, we just need to desire less. We need to to look at our lives and say, not that it's bad to have things. Again, things aren't bad, but when those things have you, they're bad for you. We need to to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you will provide every need. You will provide everything. I don't have to hold on to the things I have with such a tight grip. I actually can live and give them away. And if you have been a person that has set giving and generosity as a lifestyle, you can bear witness to the fact that it is incredibly better to give than to receive. One of the organizations my wife and I give to, they help free children and women and adults from captive slavery. I can't tell you how emotional it is to get postcards of pictures of people from other countries that have been freed because I give money to this organization, because I am part of what's happening. there. something I could never do on my own, but because I'm willing to send in $24 a month, which let's be real, I spend more on that going out to lunch. I take a small portion of our income. I give that away. and I say, now I can be part of seeing families find freedom from oppressive slave owners, and I can see this is a picture of that family. makes you passionate about the things you're giving to. So give anywhere. Again, if you're a Jesus follower, you should give to the things that God values. If you're not a Jesus follower, give to the things that you value because your stuff will never be enough because it's not a good place to find your value. And the beautiful thing is, is again, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save us from ourselves. Save us from the trap of thinking that my stuff will determine my value and make me more valuable. And it's a lie, and we all know that. So let's live in the truth. And imagine what our culture, what our city would look like if even just the people in this room said, I'm going to give first, I'm going to be generous. Imagine all the places we could help. Imagine all, honestly, the places we could put out of business because we are incredibly generous. Imagine the door that it would open for you to talk to people about how good God is because you give so much and they go, man, you don't care about your stuff like everybody else cares about your stuff. There's something different about you. You don't find your value in your stuff. You find your value in something else and you could tell them about what that is. Imagine the impact we could have as we look to Jesus to provide for us and not our stuff because our stuff will never do that. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for taking care of us, God, for meeting every single one of our needs, including our greatest need. God, our need to have a relationship with you, and I thank you for coming and acting first, God, for for coming to seek and to save all of us, God, because all of us were lost. Thank you for caring for us, God, for providing for us. And we ask that we would be able to have uh, our, our grip on our stuff, God, loosen, that we could look to you as the provider and no longer look to our things. I pray that we'd have bold faith and courageous hearts to give where you're calling us to give to, God, and to make a difference through our generosity. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.